You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. So Mama Knows Best is the name of our series, and I'm excited to share part three with you today. Uh, We're titling each message with the name of the mother, except that this is the one week that we don't have a name. She, is a, she had a name, but they just didn't write it down. It was probably a man that wrote this book. <laughs> She's simply called the Shunammite woman. Shunammite woman. So that's the title of our message, the Shunammite, if you're taking notes. And you can follow on the app as well. It's just like dynamite, but instead of die, it's shoe. Shunammite. Um, I don't know if you've stopped to think about in your life the effects of a single gesture of kindness and what that, the effect of that gesture has had in your life. You probably haven't because kind people don't usually stop to reflect on the effect of their kindness because kind people focus on other people. That's why you're kind because your focus is on somebody else. But if you were to stop and think about, for a moment, the blessing, that's, that, that, the, the, the blessing that has happened in your life, or something that has happened in your life that's positive, and if you were to trace it back to the very source, the very beginning, the first spark, I believe that the origin of it has something to do with kindness. Most likely, it was part of that beginning. See, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. I remember when we were uh, thinking about uh, moving to Connecticut. It was at the very beginning. And we were envisioning this possibility of coming to this state. Alini grew up in Connecticut, but we didn't know anything about Stanford specifically other than the fact that we had our first quasi-date in Stanford, if you didn't know that, at the Stanford Mall. I threw a quarter on the fountain. Guess what I wished for? And, uh, but now, you know, years later, we're living in Texas, in Houston, and we're married, and, um, and we're working at this church, and we're considering, God put the seed in our hearts to come to Connecticut, and we had Stanford already in our hearts, but we didn't know where to begin, and so we had a, a guest speaker that was about, that was supposed to come to our church, and usually when that happens, somebody in the team is supposed to host and represent the church and tend to the needs of that speaker. And sometimes it's a hit or miss because most of them are good interactions. But you have, some, uh, <clears throat> you have some people out there that are not that easy to deal with. <laughs> you know, they preach the word really good, but uh, sometimes they don't live it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a hit or miss. And when our staff, you know, we had our staff meeting and our, our leader, our boss said, hey, who would like to host? this person, and uh, Alini and I said, we'll do it, and we offered that, that, that step of kindness, um, and it was just a simple gesture. It just meant that we would have to, I mean, it's a little bit of a deposit in terms of time, and, 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 uh, but it's, I'm not going to call it a sacrifice, because it's always a pleasure to do ministry with good people, right? Um, but we, you know, the, 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 it, basically that commitment entailed, and we're with that person for the entire time that they're at the church, and they're in our city. And uh, we're taking care of them. So 
Alini and I uh, had the pleasure of doing that for this person that we had never met before. It turned out to be Pastor Andy Andrew. Uh, her husband was Paul Andrew. They had just planted a church in New York City. And so we took her to dinner before uh, the service where she was supposed to preach. And she's sharing her story with us, uh, planting the church. And, and we told her, we are actually thinking about Connecticut. We're thinking about uh, the city. And she said, we're in Connecticut. And I said, Stanford. And she said, stop. I said, no, not going to stop. She said, my father-in-law lives in Stanford. They just bought a big house over there. You guys can go stay with them. You can go. See, I mean, they'll help you. And that just became our main connection to move to Stanford. That couple not only supported us in the beginning of the church, even though they were involved in, in their son's church in New York City, but they connected us to our realtor who became a friend who helped us for nine years find every place that we lived except the last one because the last one, you know, our very own Susie Calabrese here uh, got us uh, hooked up. Uh, but, you know, it became a crucial relationship for this church right here. And it all came because in a staff meeting we said, we'll host. We'll, we'll spend time with that person. And so I think that if you stop to think about a blessing, what brought you, if you're not from Stanford, what brought you here? Uh, maybe your job, your career, something that, that has had significance in your life. If you trace it back to the beginning, it probably is connected to a gesture of kindness. Something in your heart that reached out to somebody and God opened the door. The story that we're going to learn today happened, it's very similar to one of these stories that you can connect to your life. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, we'll pick up on the story. It's uh, one of the stories from prophet Elisha. So one day Elisha, the prophet, went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. And, what, and so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Now here's a wealthy woman who cared about other people's needs. And the Bible doesn't really name her. It simply calls her the Shunammite, which is like to say the New Yorker or the Bostonian or the Stamfordonite. We don't have a name, but do we? Like a Stanfordite? A Stanforder. A Stanfordian? That works. Stanfordanaeans. So the Bible doesn't really give us her name, but it does say a few things about her. First of all, she's a wealthy woman. But it tells us that she noticed that there was a man who often would walk by her house. And she told him, hey, come in and eat. Let me feed you. She noticed him. Now, I imagine that she said it with authority because the Bible says that she urged him to come in and eat. And at this point, she didn't know whether he was good or bad. She just knew that there was a person who probably had a need. And she decided to treat him well. Now, we can learn from her. 
I'm not saying we should throw caution into the wind, but we have been conditioned these days. If, and you might agree with me, maybe not so much, but, but I think we have been conditioned these days to be overly suspicious of people. Overly suspicious of everyone, especially in this New York area. And there's some, some credit to that. But let me encourage you to not assume that everyone is against you. Not assume that everyone is out to get you. Not assume that everybody's trying to take advantage of you. Now practice your due diligence, but be kind. Because this is what we will learn from the scripture. Is that kindness elevates people. When you're kind to people, you're calling them higher. Listen, notice what she did. She was wise about it. She didn't just invite this man into his, her house. She thought, here's a person with a need. Let's provide for his need. She didn't invite Elisha to go into her home right away. She just fed him. And she got to know him. And then she realized he's a godly man. He's a man of God. So she wanted to bless the man of God. So she built for him a room with a table, a chair, a bed, and a lamp. And right here in ancient uh, Mesopotamia, probably, or Judea, the very first garage apartment was built. It was a free Airbnb for Elisha. And this room was for him to go and stay the night in his travels. I love people that are generous and kind because there's no rule that says that you have to give of your resources. There's no rule that says that you have to be kind to people, that you have to be generous. It just means that you're entitled to your stuff. Like nobody's entitled to your stuff. You worked hard for it and you get to do with it whatever you want. But generous and kind people, they look for opportunities to share with others. And that's what this woman was doing. She was a wealthy woman looking for opportunities to share with others. The Shunammite woman was a woman of character. And she was wise with her resources. Listen, wealth is not a reward uh, for foolish behavior. Foolishness will not get you to wealth. There's something about her life that caused her to become wealthy. Honest money is hard to make. You need, to, you need good character. You need hard work. You need wisdom. And if you're not wealthy here today, let me encourage you. There's such a, there's such a culture of, of anti-wealth in our country. And again, take this with a grain of salt and in context. But I think we are not to despise people who are wealthy because that would be focusing on the wrong thing. We shouldn't be jealous of them. We shouldn't envy their wealth. We, what you should do is try to learn. Because there is something that led them to a life that is fruitful. And ask good questions. And as you develop a relationship and you ask good questions, you will notice something. If they're honest and good, you will learn and you will see. And if they are not, if they are proud, arrogant, and they think they are better because of what they have, you know that they've already lost it. See, wealth doesn't give you bad character. It only reveals it. It accentuates it. It doesn't give you pride either. It only resources the pride that's already there. 
And my prayer today, like I said in the beginning, is that God may bless the righteous. And that it may start right here. That God may lift the godly. And that every person of a good character who puts God first may be blessed with opportunities so that they can grow and be a blessing to others. Because that's our role in the world. To be like the Shunammite woman. To look for opportunities to bless others. And I think the principle here is very important. And sometimes it can be misunderstood. So let me say it like this. I think it's important for good behavior to be acknowledged. And to be encouraged. And this is what this lady was doing. So let me speak to parents and teachers and leaders and friends in the room and those of you watching. Let me ask you this. How long in your day do you spend reprimanding bad behavior compared to the time that you spend acknowledging and encouraging good behavior? See, sometimes we can be so involved in so many things that our authority... Our strength, our leadership only comes out when something negative happens. It only comes out when things get out of line. Don't do that. That's bad. You got to fix that. No, 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 no. You, you, you can't go that way. Because you, you live in this urgency mode where you're always putting out fires. And if you're always putting out fires... All you're doing is dealing with the negative, and then you keep dealing with the negative, and all of a sudden you think you're surrounded by negativity and incompetent people. It's not that you're surrounded by negativity and incompetent people. It's that all that you have to pay attention to is the negative. Therefore, that's all you see. But if you flip it, and you are able to create margin so you can get ahead of it, you will be reminded of the power of affirming and rewarding godliness and what is good. Of looking to somebody and saying, hey, son, daughter, the way you did your bed this morning, good job. Keep doing that. Hey, I loved how you did the dishes. That's amazing. Hey, that timeline on that project, you nailed it. Let's keep that going. Fantastic. Hey, the job you did that other, uh, uh, the other day. Let me tell you something. That's what's supposed to be done, and you did it right. Let's keep going. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's not even something who, someone who's under you, but it's somebody who works beside you. You can just tell them, hey, you're always on time. I just want you to know that it's, it's noticeable. And the more you reinforce what is good, the more you will see uh, um, that be elevated. Now, the story continues. Verse 11 says, of chapter 4, it says, One day, he came in there, talking about Elisha, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Elisha said to Gehazi, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And so he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. 
And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Now notice, the man of God said, how can I repay you? You've been so good to us. You've been kind. You built a whole room for us to stay here. And you've been feeding us. And you've been supporting us time and time again. What do you want? I can get it to you. Do you want the king's friendship? Do you want protection? I, I know the commander of the army. Do you, need, do you need relationship? Do you need influence? And all she said was, it's all good. I live among my own people. We're all friends. Life is good. I don't need anything. She had no self-interest or ambition. It was Gehazi, Elisha's assistant, who said, Oh, let me tell you something. Her husband is old. They, have, they, don't, they don't have any kids. And so maybe that's something that can be done for her. She asked for nothing. All she did was be kind. She simply rewarded good character. She looked and said, this is a godly man. He's doing good for the community. Let's encourage that. Let's bless that. Let's reinforce that. Let's use our resources to make sure those around us continue to be good. And that troto stranger who was just passing around, and near her property turned out to be the avenue for a miracle she had already given up on. She had already given up. She made her peace with not being a mom. She made her peace with not having a son. She was okay with it. Could you imagine? The most unexpected thing. You go through all the emotional toil of thinking, man, I'm never going to be a mother. It's not going to happen for me. And you make your peace and you just choose to be kind and serve others. And all of a sudden, God sends a person that, said, that prophesies and, and, and God brings her. The baby's born. She's, she became a mom. And this mama was fulfilled. It all started with one gesture of this woman who probably had a busy life. But he looked, she looked beyond her busy, her busy life and, and simply noticed there's a couple of guys that keep walking by. they got to be hungry. I'm going to give him some food. Hey, come over here. I'm going to feed you. And then she noticed, oh, they're good people. Let's serve them. Now, I'd like to tell you that the story ended here, that it was beautiful. She found uh, she was living with that pain of not being a mother, and then, and then she was kind to the men of God, and, and he prophesied, and he, she had a baby, and, and, and they were happily ever after. End of Disney movie, whatever. But no. No. The story continues. And as the story continues in that same chapter, I'm going to tell you the story. The child was a little bit older. And the child went to work with his dad on the field and the workers. And he felt, felt pain in his head. Now, the scripture doesn't say what it was. It just says that at one point in the morning, he said, my head, my head. And the dad said, take him to his mother. Rush him to his mother. 
Now, scholars believe that it was a heat stroke. That because of the region where they lived, it was an arid, hot uh, region. And most scholars believe that's what it was. And usually heat strokes in a child, they're can be fatal. And that's what happened to this kid. They rushed him to the mother, and the mother uh, held him, and it says that by noon he was dead. Child died. The boy died. And he was small because the mother could carry him. So that promise that she didn't ask for, that miracle was there, lifeless in her hands. What would you do? Could you imagine being in a situation like that? That's what she did. She took the child to the room she had built for the men of God. And she laid the child on Elisha's bed. And she told one of her helpers, Go and ask my husband to bring me a donkey because I got to go see the men of God. And so her husband said, is everything okay? It's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. Why are you going to the men of God? And all she said to her husband was, all is well. All is well. All is well? Your miracle baby is dead. But that's all she could say. All is well. Let me tell you something. When God gives you a promise, when he has a working miracle in your life, and along the period of that miracle, it looks like it's all over. It looks like it's all done. It's good to keep your troubles for God and God alone in that season. And I believe that that's what she was doing. This is something we've learned. This is something that we've learned from this scripture as well. She kept it to God and God alone. All is well. This is not for your ears. I got to see the men of God. So it was a statement of faith. And she went in haste, the scripture says to Elijah. Elisha. We pick up the story on verse 27. And when she came to the mountain to the men of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away but the man of God said leave her alone for she is she is in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me then she said this is all she could say did I ask my Lord for a son did I not say do not deceive me in other words I cannot handle this I didn't come knocking on your door asking for a miracle. You told me this was going to happen. And in that moment, Elisha already knew what had happened. But this is what you got to understand. When she said, all is well, she wasn't in denial. She wasn't like, all is well. Nothing happened. No. She wasn't, she wasn't in a confident place of faith either. She wasn't like, all is well. God is going to handle it. Praise the Lord. And nothing wrong if, if she were in a place like that. But you got to understand that when, when something happens that causes you distress, you're going to be distressed. And that's where she was. She was in bitter distress. 
Now, did you know that you can be in faith and in distress at the same time? Because sometimes we're sold this idea that if you are in faith, then you gotta, your emotions have to be in line and you have to be confident and like everything is good. Otherwise, it's not faith. Like faith is some kind of emotional suppression of everything that's negative that you have to always be positive because otherwise it's not faith. She was in faith. Why? Because she went to the man of God. She knew where to go when something bad happened. She knew where to go. She, she was being affected by the circumstances. Now let me say this. When being affected by the circumstances around you doesn't mean that you have some kind of disorder. Distress and worry is not a mental, mental health problem. Grief is not a mental health issue. Those are genuine emotions that you will go through when you go through things that are difficult. That's how we deal with it. I remember a few months ago when our daughter Chloe had a health episode. That's what I'm going to call it. We were still having services every other week. And uh, it was one of the off Sundays. And we had planned to uh, have church online together and then go to have lunch with some friends. And I was helping her because she had hurt her foot. And I don't want to get graphic, but there was some dry blood and scabs. And, you know, I was trying to clean it with her. And as I'm, as I'm trying to clean it with her, she starts getting queasy. And she's like, I could see it. Like, she started getting pale. And, and she just told me, Dad, I feel like throwing up. And I was like, uh-oh. And so Alini took her to the bathroom. I went downstairs to get some juice and because you know she was pale and i'm like let's get some sugar back up and and maybe get a medicine or something and i'm down there well trying to gather stuff and i hear alini uh call me upstairs honey come here quickly and i i go in the bathroom and chloe is in her arms sitting you know on the floor going in and out like just in and out like in a, like she's in a trance and and, and blood is flushed she's flushed and and, and then she passes out. She just goes, her head just tilts back. And Alini looks at me and says, call 911 now. And I was like, he just passed out. Let's, let's, let's wait 30 seconds and let's see what's happening. But Alini saw death in her face. And at this moment, obviously, we're praying and, and we're putting our trust in the Lord. But I don't want you to feel like, you know, I was calm, cool, calm, and collected. And my wife was losing her marbles. Because that's not at all what happened. I wasn't, it's not that I, was, uh, that I was calm. I wasn't calm. See, you have to know something about my wife. My wife's first choice of profession was to work in an ER. That's what she wanted to do. So she always wanted to take care of people, but she wanted to take care of actual people that like blood, blood coming out, bones sticking out. She was like, yeah, I live for this, baby. Show me all. Like she did an internship when she was in high school taking care of people who are hurting. And so she, her dream was to work in an ER, 18 hours a day, blood everywhere. But I remember that Chloe is not just her daughter. She's my daughter, too. And I have passed out watching a movie with people bleeding. So, yeah, not my calling. I, I will not, I don't even drive past an emergency room. 
Okay, if you go to the emergency room, your pastor is not coming for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be praying far away. We'll send a help ministry. We have people here who can deal with that. All right? I'm not going to come because I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to make you feel better. I'm going to make you feel worse. If I come, you know things are bad, okay? If I show up and you're in the ER, it's because I'm, I'm sending you to heaven. Because that's the only condition why I would go see you. Like one last time, all right? Let me just give you a hug because this is it for you. Otherwise, if the doctor says, they're going to make it. All right, I'll see you on the other side. I can't see blood. And so in my mind, I'm like, she's my daughter too. All right? Maybe, maybe that's not in the cards for her to go to the be a, 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 a medicine, right? And so we waited a little bit, and she came back, and she came to it, still flushed. We did what we could do, and anyways, we were very worried, very emotional. But let me, let me tell you this. Like, it doesn't mean that we were without faith. And that in that moment of distress, it just means this, that the emotional response to a stressful situation is distress. But the spiritual response is faith. And both can happen at the same time. You can be worried, but you don't give your, your heart to worry. You don't give your spirit to worry. Your spirit is in God. Your heart is in God. But you're a human being with full emotions. Of course you're going to worry. Of course you're going to call for help. Spiritual response is faith. The emotional response in a tragedy is grief, bitterness, sadness. The spiritual response is faith, prayer, to rest in the Lord. So after a couple hours, we took her to the emergency room uh, because she still wasn't like feeling fully herself. And literally, we pull up to the emergency room. Right before we open the car door, she bleh, throws up in the car, everywhere. So good. <laughs> so good i said i didn't want to be graphic right and uh, so they ran tests and it was everything whatever was in her stomach you know kind of came out it was just a coincidence let me just encourage you with this when you cry cry in the lord when you grieve grieve in his presence and that's what the shunammite woman did she only cried and grieved when she got to the men of god she opened up when she got to the men of God, he said to Gehazi, the, Elisha said to Gehazi, verse 29, tie up your garment and take my staff, my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of of the child. In other words, tie up your garments means you're going to run because they used to wear long garments. You're going to lift it. You're going to tie up on your side. And I don't want you to walk. I want you to run. And don't say hi to anybody. Take this and put it on the child's face. It was, a, it was an act of faith. But Gehazi ran back as they were walking. He ran back and said, the child has not awakened. And then this happened. Verse 32, our last scripture of the day. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child laying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. 
Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. He was cold already. Then he got up and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Wow. Elisha here in this story is a representative of God. He's God's man. In this story, he's God's voice. He's God's presence. And the child, as we see, was dead and cold. The miracle was aborted. The dream was short-lived. The promise was unfulfilled. Yeah, I had a baby, but guess what? Nothing more will happen. He's not going to have kids of his own. The legacy is cut short. He was born, but she held him for a little while, but he didn't become a man. He didn't become a father. His life was cut short. See, sometimes we'll try our gestures of faith because it happens sometimes that God will promise something to you and you see it and it, 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 it starts happening and you go like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's a miracle. And then something happens that cuts that short and you're like, I don't understand it. I don't know if you've ever had, had that happen to you. I don't understand. I'm supposed to see the totality of this. And right now, this seems like it's over. And this is where the Shunammite woman found herself. When, those, when, the, when that happens sometimes, we will try our gestures of faith. We'll come to church, which is good. We do our best. And that's what the staff represents. The staff represents our efforts. The medicine that you take, the treatment that you go to, the, nat- the nature of the thing. A financial investment, marketing, partnership, the certification, the studies, the effort that you put in, the list goes on. God provides you the means. You go and you take that step of faith and you try to solve the problem. You try to lay those things on top of that dream, just like the staff. And i got to tell you, sometimes those efforts will work. That's why Elisha told Gehazi to do it. But there are times that they'll fall short. And what do you do when they fall short? There will be times when you will have to shut the world around you like Elisha did. And you have to trust that God himself will breathe life into that situation. That God himself will come and, and bring a solution to that situation. Listen, you might listen to a story like this and you might think about the physical details and try to calculate in your head, oh, how, how did that happen? Like he put his mouth in his mouth and he has in his eyes and his hands and then he, he just warmed the body and then he walked around and then how, how can I do that? How does that apply? And, you know, I'm sure that there's some practical significance to to, there's some, some significance to the meaning of, of those things and the sneezing seven times, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's something about the seven, number seven, woo, the number of perfection, yeah. And you can occupy it with those details, but I just want to encourage you today with this one thing. The point of the story for you today is that our God 
is a God of resurrection. He is a God that can bring dead things back to life. And what he promised, he will make sure it comes to pass. If he gave you a promise and you saw the beginning of it, and for some reason there was a pause, there was a break, there was death, God can bring it back to life. If you come to him and you surrender to him, what he promised, he will make sure it will come, come to pass to the fullest. Your promise is not going to die prematurely. God will bring it back to life because he stands behind his word and he stands behind his plan. Let me encourage you today. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you've been through this week, this year, these couple of years of this very unstable situation that we have in our world. But we serve a God of the impossible. And he can make rivers in the desert. He can heal. He can restore. He can transform. He can change your body. He can change your life. And he can bring dead things back to life. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it was in Elisha that day. He is in you today. He's in this place today. And he can change your situation if you bring it to him. Like the Shunammite woman did. So what do you need from the Lord? What do you need from him to hate? from him today let me encourage you to come to him to bring it to him to lay at his feet do it like this mama and bring your heart to God confess that it's all all is well confess to God bring to God your distress trust him for the miracle because what he promised he will fulfill do you receive it this morning amen, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.